0: Chapter Four of Mrs. Dalloway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Wolfe. Chapter Four millions of things he exclaimed and urged by the assembly of powers which were now charging this way and that and giving him the feeling at once frightening and extremely exhilarating of being rushed through the air on the shoulders of people he could no longer see he raised his hands to his forehead clarissa sat very upright drew in her breath i am in love he said not to her however but to some one raised up in the dark so that you could not touch her but must lay your garland down on the grass in the dark in love he repeated now speaking rather dryly to clarissa dalloway in love with a girl in india he had deposited his garland clarissa could make what she would of it in love she said that he at his age should be sucked under in his little bow-tie by that monster and there's no flesh on his neck his hands are red and he's six months older than i am her eye flashed back to her but in her heart she felt all the same he is in love he has that she felt he is in love but the indomitable egotism which forever rides down the hosts opposed to it the river which says on 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 even though it admits there may be no goal for us whatever still on on this indomitable egotism charged her cheeks with color made her look very young very pink very bright-eyed as she sat with her dress upon her knee and her needle held to the end of green silk trembling a little he was in love not with her with some younger woman of course and who is she she asked now this statue must be brought from its height and set down between them a married woman unfortunately he said the wife of a major in the indian army and with a curious ironical sweetness he smiled as he placed her in this ridiculous way before clarissa all the same he is in love thought clarissa she has he continued very reasonably two small children a boy and a girl and i have come over to see my lawyers about the divorce there they are he thought do what you like with them clarissa there they are and second by second it seemed to him that the wife of the major in the indian army his daisy and her two small children became more and more lovely as clarissa looked at them as if he had set light to a gray pellet on a plate and there had risen up a lovely tree in the brisk sea-salted air of their intimacy for in some ways no one understood him felt with him as clarissa did their exquisite intimacy she flattered him she fooled him thought clarissa shaping the woman the wife of the major in the indian army with three strokes of a knife what a waste what a folly all his life long peter had been fooled like that first getting sent down from oxford next marrying the girl on the boat going out to india now the wife of a major in the indian army thank heaven she had refused to marry him still he was in love her old friend her dear peter he was in love but what are you going to do she asked him oh the lawyers and solicitors messrs hooper and greatly of lincoln's inn they were going to do it he said and he actually pared his nails with his pocket-knife for heaven's sake leave your knife alone she cried to herself in irrepressible irritation it was his silly unconventionality his weakness his lack of the ghost of a notion what any one else was feeling that annoyed her had always annoyed her and now at his age how silly i know all that peter thought i know what i'm up against he thought running his finger along the blade of his knife clarissa and Dalloway, and all the rest of them but i'll show clarissa and then to his utter surprise suddenly thrown by those uncontrollable forces thrown through the air he burst into tears wept wept without the least shame sitting on the sofa the tears running down his cheeks and clarissa had leant forward taken his hand drawn him to her kissed him actually had felt his face on hers before she could down the brandishing of silver flashing plumes like pampas grass in a tropic gale in her breast which subsiding left her holding his hand patting his knee and feeling as she sat back extraordinarily at her ease with him and light-hearted all in a clap it came over her if i had married him this gaiety would have been mine all day it was all over for her the sheet was stretched and the bed narrow she had gone up into the tower alone and left them blackberrying in the sun the door had shut and there among the dust of fallen plaster and the litter of birds nests how distant the view had looked and the sounds came thin and chill once on leith hill she remembered and richard richard she cried as a sleeper in the night starts and stretches a hand in the dark for help lunching with lady bruton it came back to her he has left me i am alone forever she thought folding her hands upon her knee peter walsh had got up and crossed to the window and stood with his back to her flicking a bandana handkerchief from side to side masterly and dry and desolate he looked his thin shoulder-blades lifting his coat slightly blowing his nose violently take me with you clarissa thought impulsively as if he were starting directly upon some great voyage and then next moment it was as if the five acts of a play that had been very exciting and moving were now over and she had lived a lifetime in them and had run away had lived with peter and it was now over now it was time to move and as a woman gathers her things together her cloak her gloves her opera-glasses and gets up to go out of the theatre into the street she rose from the sofa and went to peter and it was awfully strange she thought how she still had the power as she came tinkling rustling still had the power as she came across the room to make the moon which he detested rise at pourtant on the terrace and the summer sky tell me he said seizing her by the shoulders are you happy clarissa does richard the door opened here is my elizabeth said clarissa emotionally histrionically perhaps how do you do said elizabeth coming forward the sound of big ben striking the half-hour struck out between them with extraordinary vigor as if a young man strong indifferent inconsiderate were swinging dumbbells this way and that hello elizabeth cried peter stuffing his handkerchief into his pocket going quickly to her saying good-bye clarissa without looking at her leaving the room quickly and running downstairs and opening the hall door peter peter cried clarissa following him out on to the landing my party to-night remember my party to-night she cried having to raise her voice against the roar of the open air and overwhelmed by the traffic and the sound of all the clocks striking her voice crying remember my party to-night sounded frail and thin and very far away as peter walsh shut the door remember my party remember my party said peter walsh as he stepped down the street speaking to himself rhythmically in time with the flow of the sound the direct downright sound of big ben striking the half-hour the leaden circles dissolved in the air oh these parties he thought clarissa's parties why does she give these parties he thought not that he blamed her or hid this effigy of a man in a tailcoat with a carnation in his buttonhole coming towards him only one person in the world could be as he was in love and there he was this fortunate man himself reflected in the plate-glass window of a motor-car manufacturer in victoria street all india lay behind him plains mountains epidemics of cholera a district twice as big as ireland decisions he had come to alone he peter walsh who was now really for the first time in his life in love clarissa had grown hard he thought and a trifle sentimental into the bargain he suspected looking at the great mortar-cars capable of doing how many miles on how many gallons for he had a turn for mechanics had invented a plough in his district had ordered wheel from england but the coolies wouldn't use them all of which clarissa knew nothing whatever about the way she said here's my elizabeth that annoyed him why not here's elizabeth simply it was insincere and elizabeth didn't like it either still the last tremors of the great booming voice shook the air round him the half-hour still early only half-past eleven still for he understood young people he liked them there was always something cold in clarissa he thought she had always even as a girl a sort of timidity which in middle age becomes conventionality and then it's all up it's all up he thought looking rather drearily into the glassy depths and wondering whether by calling at that hour he had annoyed her overcome with shame suddenly at having been a fool wept been emotional told her everything as usual as usual as a cloud crosses the sun silence falls on london and falls on the mind effort ceases time flaps on the mast there we stop there we stand rigid the skeleton of habit alone upholds a human frame where there is nothing peter walsh said to himself feeling hollowed out utterly empty within clarissa refused me he thought he stood there thinking clarissa refused me ah said st margaret's like a hostess who comes into her drawing-room on the very stroke of the hour and finds her guests there already i am not late no it is precisely half-past eleven she says yet though she is perfectly right her voice being the voice of the hostess is reluctant to inflict its individuality some grief for the past holds it back some concern for the present it is half-past eleven she says and the sound of st margaret's glides into the recesses of the heart and buries itself in ring after ring of sound like something alive which wants to confide itself to disperse itself to be with a tremor of delight at rest like clarissa herself thought peter walsh coming down the stairs on the stroke of the hour in white it is clarissa herself he thought with a deep emotion and an extraordinarily clear yet puzzling recollection of her as if this bell had come into the room years ago where they sat at some moment of great intimacy and had gone from one to the other and had left like a bee with honey laden with the moment but what room what moment and why had he been so profoundly happy when the clock was striking then as the sound of st margaret's languished he thought she has been ill and the sound expressed languor and suffering it was her heart he remembered and the sudden loudness of the final stroke told for death that surprised in the midst of life clarissa falling where she stood in her drawing-room no no he cried she is not dead i'm not old he cried and marched up whitehall as if there rolled down to him vigorous unending his future he was not old or set or dried in the least as for caring what they said of him the dalloways the wit and their set he cared not a straw not a straw though it was true he would have some time or other to see whether richard couldn't help him to some job striding staring he glared at the statue of the duke of cambridge he had been sent down from oxford true he had been a socialist in some sense of failure true still the future of civilization lies he thought in the hands of young men like that of young men such as he was thirty years ago with their love of abstract principles getting books sent out to them all the way from london to a peak in the himalayas reading science reading philosophy the future lies in the hands of young men like that he thought a patter like the patter of leaves in a wood came from behind and with it a rustling regular thudding sound which as it overtook him drummed his thoughts stricken step up whitehall without his doing boys in uniform carrying guns marched with their eyes ahead of them marched their arms stiff and on their faces an expression like the letters of a legend written round the base of a statue praising duty gratitude fidelity love of england it is thought peter walsh beginning to keep step with them a very fine training but they did not look robust they were weedy for the most part boys of sixteen who might to-morrow stand behind bowls of rice cakes of soap on counters now they wore on them unmixed with sensual pleasure or daily preoccupations the solemnity of the wreath which they had fetched from finsbury pavement to the empty tomb they had taken their vow the traffic respected it vans were stopped i can't keep up with them peter walsh thought as they marched up whitehall and sure enough on they marched past him past every one in their steady way as if one will worked legs and arms uniformly and life with its varieties its irreticences, had been laid under a pavement of monuments and wreaths and drugged into a stiff yet staring corpse by discipline one had to respect it one might laugh but one had to respect it he thought there they go thought peter walsh pausing at the edge of the pavement and all the exalted statues nelson gordon havelock the black the spectacular images of great soldiers stood looking ahead of them as if they too had made the same renunciation peter walsh felt he too had made it the great renunciation trampled under the same temptations and achieved at length a marble stare but the stare peter walsh did not want for himself in the least though he could respect it in others he could respect it in boys they don't know the troubles of the flesh yet he thought as the marching boys disappeared in the direction of the strand all that i've been through he thought crossing the road and standing under gordon's statue gordon whom as a boy he had worshipped gordon standing lonely with one leg raised and his arms crossed poor gordon he thought and just because nobody yet knew he was in london except clarissa and the earth after the voyage still seemed an island to him the strangeness of standing alone alive unknown at half-past eleven in trafalgar square overcame him what is it where am i and why after all does one do it he thought the divorce seeming all moonshine and down his mind went flat as a marsh and three great emotions bowled over him understanding a vast philanthropy and finally as if the result of the others an irrepressible exquisite delight as if inside his brain by another hand strings were pulled shutters moved and he having nothing to do with it yet stood at the opening of endless avenues down which if he chose he might wander he had not felt so young for years he had escaped was utterly free as happens in the downfall of habit when the mind like an unguarded flame bows and bends and seems about to blow from its holding i haven't felt so young for years thought peter escaping only of course for an hour or so from being precisely what he was and feeling like a child who runs out of doors and sees as he runs his old nurse waving at the wrong window but she's extraordinarily attractive he thought as walking across trafalgar square in the direction of the haymarket came a young woman who as she passed gordon's statue seemed peter walsh thought susceptible as he was to shed veil after veil until she became the very woman he had always had in mind young but stately merry but discreet black but enchanting straining himself and stealthily fingering his pocket-knife he started after her to follow this woman this excitement which seemed even with its back turned to shed on him a light which connected them which singled him out as if the random uproar of the traffic had whispered through hollowed hands his name not peter but his private name which he called himself in his own thoughts you she said only you saying it with her white gloves and her shoulders then the thin long cloak which the wind stirred as she walked past dent's shop in cockspur street blew out with an enveloping kindness a mournful tenderness as of arms that would open and take the tired but she's not married she's young quite young thought peter the red carnation he had seen her wear as she came across trafalgar square burning again in his eyes and making her lips red but she waited at the curbstone there was a dignity about her she was not worldly like clarissa not rich like clarissa was she he wondered as she moved respectable witty with a lizard's flickering tongue he thought for one must invent must allow oneself a little diversion a cool waiting wit a darting wit not noisy she moved she crossed he followed her to embarrass her was the last thing he wished still if she stopped he would say come and have an ice he would say and she would answer perfectly simply oh yes but other people got between them in the street obstructing him blotting her out he pursued she changed there was color in her cheeks mockery in her eyes he was an adventurer reckless he thought swift daring indeed landed as he was last night from india a romantic buccaneer careless of all these damned proprieties yellow dressing-gowns pipes fishing-rods in the shop windows and respectability and evening parties and spruce old men wearing white slips beneath their waistcoats he was a buccaneer on and on she went across piccadilly and up regent street ahead of him her cloak her gloves her shoulders combining with the fringes and the laces and the feather boas in the windows to make the spirit of finery and whimsy which dwindled out of the shops on to the pavement as the light of a lamp goes wavering at night over hedges in the darkness laughing and delighted she had crossed oxford street and great portland street and turned down one of the little streets and now-and now the great moment was approaching for now she slackened opened her bag and with one look in his direction but not at him one look that bade farewell summed up the whole situation and dismissed it triumphantly forever had fitted her key opened the door and gone clarissa's voice saying remember my party remember my party sang in his ears the house was one of those flat red houses with hanging flower baskets of vague impropriety it was over well i've had my fun i've had it he thought looking up at the swinging baskets of pale geraniums and it was smashed to atoms tis fun for it was half made up as he knew very well invented this escapade with the girl made up as one makes up the better part of life he thought making oneself up making her up creating an exquisite amusement and something more but odd it was and quite true all this one could never share it smashed to atoms he turned went up the street thinking to find somewhere to sit till it was time for lincoln's inn from Messrs. hooper and greatly where should he go no matter up the street then towards regent's park his boots on the pavement struck out no matter for it was early still very early it was a splendid morning too like the pulse of a perfect heart life struck straight through the streets there was no fumbling no hesitation sweeping and swerving accurately punctually noiselessly there precisely at the right instant the motor-car stopped at the door the girl silk-stockinged feathered evanescent but not to him particularly attractive for he had had his fling alighted admirable butlers tawny chow-dogs halls laid in black and white lozenges with white blinds blowing peter saw through the opened door and approved of a splendid achievement in its own way after all london the season civilization coming as he did from a respectable anglo-indian family which for at least three generations had administered the affairs of a continent it's strange he thought what a sentiment i have about that disliking india and empire and army as he did there were moments when civilization even of this sort seemed dear to him as a personal possession moments of pride in england in butlers Chow dogs girls and their security ridiculous enough still there it is he thought and the doctors and men of business and capable women all going about their business punctual alert robust seemed to him wholly admirable good fellows to whom one would entrust one's life companions in the art of living who would see one through what with one thing and another the show was really very tolerable and he would sit down in the shade and smoke there was regent's park yes as a child he had walked in regent's park odd he thought how the thought of childhood keeps coming back to me-the result of seeing clarissa perhaps for women live much more in the past than we do he thought they attach themselves to places and their fathers a woman's always proud of her father was a nice place a very nice place but i could never get on with the old man he thought there was quite a scene one night an argument about something or other what he could not remember politics presumably yes he remembered regent's park the long straight walk the little house where one bought balls to the left an absurd statue with an inscription somewhere or other he looked for an empty seat he did not want to be bothered feeling a little drowsy as he did by people asking him the time an elderly grey nurse with a baby asleep in its perambulator that was the best he could do for himself sit down at the far end of the seat by that nurse she's a queer-looking girl he thought suddenly remembering elizabeth as she came into the room and stood by her mother grown big quite grown up not exactly pretty handsome rather and she can't be more than eighteen probably she doesn't get on with clarissa there's my elizabeth that sort of thing why not here's elizabeth simply trying to make out like most mothers that things are what they are not she trusts to her charm too much he thought she overdoes it the rich benignant cigar-smoke eddied coolly down his throat he puffed it out again in rings which pressed to the air bravely for a moment blue circular i shall try and get a word alone with elizabeth to-night he thought then began to wobble into hourglass shapes and taper away odd shapes they take he thought suddenly he closed his eyes raised his hand with an effort and threw away the heavy end of his cigar the great brush swept smooth across his mind sweeping across it moving branches children's voices the shuffle of feet and people passing and humming traffic rising and falling traffic down down he sank into the plumes and feathers of sleep sank and was muffled over the gray nurse resumed her knitting as peter walsh on the hot seat beside her began snoring in her gray dress moving her hands indefatigably yet quietly she seemed like the champion of the rights of sleepers like one of those spectral presences which rise in twilight in woods made of sky and branches the solitary traveller haunter of lanes disturber of ferns and devastator of great hemlock plants looking up suddenly sees the giant figure at the end of the ride by conviction an atheist perhaps he is taken by surprise with moments of extraordinary exultation nothing exists outside us except a state of mind he thinks a desire for solace for relief for something outside these miserable pygmies these feeble these ugly these craven men and women but if he can conceive of her then in some sort she exists he thinks and advancing down the path with his eyes upon sky and branches he rapidly endows them with womanhood sees with amazement how grave they become how majestically as the breeze stirs them they dispense with a dark flutter of the leaves charity comprehension absolution and then flinging themselves suddenly aloft confound the piety of their aspect with a wild carouse such are the visions which proffer great cornucopias full of fruit to the solitary traveller or murmur in his ear like sirens lolloping away on the green sea waves, or are dashed in his face like bunches of roses arise to the surface like pale faces which fishermen flounder through floods to embrace such are the visions which ceaselessly float up pace beside put their faces in front of the actual thing often overpowering the solitary traveller and taking away from him the sense of the earth the wish to return and giving him for substitute a general peace as if so he thinks as he advances down the forest ride all this fever of living were simplicity itself and myriads of things merged in one thing and this figure made of sky and branches as it is had risen from the troubled sea he is elderly past fifty now as a shape might be sucked up out of the waves to shower down from her magnificent hands compassion comprehension absolution so he thinks may i never go back to the lamplight to the sitting-room never finish my book never knock out my pipe never ring for mrs Turner to clear away rather let me walk straight on to this great figure who will with a toss of her head mount me on our streamers and let me blow to nothingness with the rest such are the visions the solitary traveller is soon beyond the wood and there coming to the door with shaded eyes possibly to look for his return with hands raised with white apron blowing is an elderly woman who seems so powerful is this infirmity to seek over a desert a lost son to search for a rider destroyed to be the figure of the mother whose sons have been killed in the battles of the world so as a solitary traveller advances down the village street where the women stand knitting and the men dig in the garden the evening seems ominous the figures still as if some august fate known to them awaited without fear were about to sweep them into complete annihilation indoors among ordinary things the cupboard the table the window-sill with its geranium suddenly the outline of the landlady bending to remove the cloth becomes soft with light an adorable emblem, which only the recollection of cold human contacts forbids us to embrace, she takes the marmalade, she shuts it in the cupboard. There is nothing more to-night, sir, but to whom does the solitary traveller make reply? so the elderly nurse knitted over the sleeping baby in Regent's park, so Peter Walsh snored. End of chapter Four.